Hello, church. How we doing? Good. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, right? If there's any youth in here, you're not going downstairs today. You're going to stay in here with us, just so you know. Okay? Cool. There isn't one announcement. Um, next week, we are having just one service at 10 a.m. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is a little raspy. I was trying to scream over there because uh, I was that guy. Uh, that Justin just talked about. That's still me, probably even up until about a year ago. Uh, worship was definitely something that was difficult for me. Um, I kind of wanted to just get to the good part, not realizing that all of part, every part of the service is the good stuff, right? Um, for me, it was definitely a hands-by-my-side kind of guy and a little bit of a sway maybe here or there. Maybe I sang real low, you know? Um, but it's still amazing to see people or God use people and their gifts for his glory, right? The worship team is obviously awesome, but I didn't actually even start really listening to worship music that much until my brother Eric, um, until he started leading worship here. So God used that to kind of break down the walls that I had too, kind of loosen me up and give me a bit of freedom as well, right? And so I would encourage you, oops, sorry, let me fix this. I would encourage you to break free from that box, man, and just give the Lord all he deserves. He deserves everything. Um, you don't look stupid, believe me. No one even remembers five minutes from now who was acting crazy while you guys were worshiping. So I, I say all that. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. So my worship rant is over. We can jump into our accountability questions as we do every single week. I got to turn it on. Did you spend at least five minutes a day, at least five days a week, last week, uh, reading or listening to God's word? Yes, good. That's awesome. Did you share Jesus with someone this week? Yes. Yeah. Do you know that you have a testimony? Yes. Everybody has a testimony that's come to know the Lord. Some people look at them as great. Some people look at them as small. But God uses them all, right? Yes. No matter what, you have a sphere of influence, and God wants to use your testimony in that sphere of influence, right? Yes. Right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, so did you share Jesus with someone this week then? Yes, good, I'm glad. Did you spend some time alone with God this week with no agenda? Yes. It's important we do that. As Christians, we need to be grounded, uh, in the, obviously, in our Heavenly Father, so that we can operate in this world that's constantly crazy and whipping around us, right? Do you know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you? Yes. Yeah, good. That's the most important one out of this whole list, I think. If we know what God's saying to us, we're able to operate in a way that he wants us to. Obviously, that's the best way. We don't want to operate into our own, under our own plans. The Bible tells us that that way leads to destruction, right? So are you giving as God has asked you to give in your time, your talents, and your resources? Good. That's awesome. Obviously, the worship team's doing their best to do that. I would encourage you, if you don't serve anywhere in the church, step out. Kids XP always needs help. Nursery needs help. The youth needs help. I know because I run it. Do you, uh, did you invite someone to church with you today? We should. We should be encouraging people to come to church. You know, God is the, or the Holy Spirit is the one that does that work within their heart. We just got to be the vessel he uses to do that, right? So bring people to church. With that all being said, let's pray before we jump in, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you, Jesus, for today. There's nobody like you, God. Thankful for that, God. Thankful that we get to lean on you in times of joy and, of course, times of pain, Jesus. We know that no matter what anybody's going through, Lord, we're here in this moment ready to hear from you and your word and what you have to say, God. Help us to operate in a way um, that is kingdom, kingdom-led, Jesus. 
Help us to be the people that you've created us to be. We love you. Be with us as we move through this message. God, break the hearts of those who need to hear this. Lord, and help us and may it encourage the ones who already know it. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's jump into it. Parables. You know what a parable is? When I was a kid, uh, a parable was told, or a, the, the word parable, I was told means are an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Anybody ever heard that before? Yes? Okay, good. Some church kids probably in here. Um, so either way, it was derived from the word, the Greek word, parabole. I probably butchered that, but that's okay. Which means to cast along to the side of or compare to. A parable is a story, sorry, a parable is a story with an underlying spiritual or moral teaching which is not apparent immediately. Jesus uses these parables to teach, obviously, people, and then he later reveals them to some of his disciples, at least on some of them. So would it surprise you that not everyone is willing to listen to what you have to say? Does that come as a surprise to anybody? It shouldn't, right? Because if you are surprised by that, you probably haven't had many conversations with people in your workplace or your friends or your family even, right? Because we constantly have things that we think we need to, or people need to hear, and sometimes people don't listen to those things, and that's okay. That's the way the world works. We shouldn't expect anything different because whether you're, it's a parent to a kid or a coworker to a coworker or a boss to an employee or a friend to a friend, right? We don't need to be surprised by that. And the reason we don't need to be so surprised is because people weren't willing to listen to Jesus either. He went from town to town. Some towns, he would heal a ton of people. Other towns, he would heal almost just a few people, right? Does that mean that all those people that weren't sick that he didn't love? No, right? But it also means that he had, he had a purpose within his life to, uh, for here on earth to then communicate that to the masses. Those who were not willing to listen to what he had to say he just simply moved on from them. To illustrate this very same thought, Jesus told about a parable about the parable and the sower. This was told so Jesus could show how people's reaction to the gospel and how it affects them. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, open up. If not, the verses will be on the screen. So such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. He finishes it off by saying, Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear, 
or understand. It is fulfilled in the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's hearts, or heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed with their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. The sower in this story, well, I should say, who's the main character of the story Jesus is trying to tell? Is it the sower, is it the seed, or is it the soil? It's all of them, right? All of them are the main points of the whole story. So the sower in this case is Jesus. The seed in this case is the gospel. And then the soil, of course, is our hearts and how we receive that. The sower represents Jesus and also can be applied to anyone who faithfully shares the gospel. The seed in this case is the gospel itself, which was the theme of Jesus' preaching. And the soil represents the hearts when we hear the actual gospel. So let's set the stage. Jesus, in verse 1 and 2, <clears throat> shows his desire to teach. But the crowd is so big that he must get into a boat. And he sits while he teaches them. I can see Jesus out there by the lake after having just had a confrontation with Pharisees, healing a guy who was demonically possessed, healing another guy with a withered hand. He has that argument. He finally comes out of the house. He goes and sits by the lake, probably for a moment to take a breath and have some peace, right? And so all these people come up. They start to talk to him. Then the crowd gets bigger and bigger. And he goes, and he goes out of the boat. He sits down. They're all standing on the beach waiting for him to teach them. And the first thing out of his mouth is listen. When I'm talking to my kids, or honestly anybody at this point, but especially my kids, if they're arguing back and forth, I know that when I, ha when I or they know, when I say the word listen, they need to pay attention to what I'm about to say. We don't use this word in everyday conversation. We use it generally, right, when we're trying to get our point across to somebody. We don't think about it in just a back and forth conversation. So when someone says, listen, it's important, especially because it's Jesus, that we should pay attention. What's he, what he says is about to be something important, and he continues on. The farmer went out to plant some seed. Notice how Jesus uses something in their everyday life, something they would be familiar with, to now tell the story he's about to, kind of, or that truth that he's about to tell them. These people were probably farmers and fishermen and just everyday people that lived off the land. So they would understand immediately what he's talking about when he, breaks the, or when he brings the sower and the seed. First, he brings up the wayside soil. It's the hardened and trampled heart. The seeds are not received in this case. The birds, they come and they take, they immediately eat them. The birds in this case represent Satan who continues to prowl around seeking all he can to eat and steal out of the hearts of men, especially the truth. These are the people who refuse to believe that you're pro what you're proclaiming. They may understand the words coming out of your mouth, but nothing goes beyond their ears. In the hardness of their heart, Jesus warns against this. A hard heart is vulnerable. Satan is constantly on the prowl, trying to get those hearts even more hardened, to cause more division. There's a personal power of evil afoot. 
doing everything he or it can to prevent the kingdom from transforming our lives and spreading into the world. Satan seeks to further harden hearts on the gospel. Now, why would he do that? Because it means the end of his kingdom here on earth, right? The more hearts that get changed, the more lives that are saved, Satan has less and less ground. And the kingdom of God obviously has more and more. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are healed. Or headed, sorry. <laughs> Let me restart. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. We see that witnessed every day. I'm sure you've come across people that have that hardened heart, that think you're foolish, right, for what you believe in. That's okay. Let them think you're foolish. The rocky soil is next, a shallow rocky heart, one who hears the word and immediately receives it with great joy. This person endures for a little while but has no roots. With no root, they're not grounded in the word. So that when troubles come, they have no endurance and stumbling occurs. When we welcome the news of the kingdom, what we will find is that there's trouble that comes with it. And I mean that in the sense that there's friction now between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of what resides in our hearts before God, the kingdom of darkness, right? And so when these two worlds collide, there's, there's, about, there's guaranteed to be some friction here because one kingdom that we're currently surrendered to is, is now under the attack of God's kingdom, right? And the gospel itself as it tries to make its way into our hearts there's many blessings that come with being a Christian, obviously. The peace, eternal life, right, forgiveness, freedom. But there's also troubles that come with these things, right? Because the God, God's kingdom has come near, our old life is replaced and we're under the reign of a new king. If our hearts are shallow, then we will be tempted to back off when things get tough. We can't be shallow, guys. We can't be shallow. We need to dig deep. As the, gospel is lived out in, uh, as the gospel is lived out, natural opposition arises. Why is that? Because two different worlds collide, right? As we said. So we know that emotional reception without a strong foundation based upon the word will not enable one to stand against tribulation and persecution. We can't have an emotional response to God. Our relationship with God is not based on our emotion. Otherwise, most people wouldn't be Christians because our emotions fluctuate so much, right? We know that our commitment to the Lord, what he's done in our life, we can hold firm to the, to the fact that he's changed our lives, obviously, for the better. I know when I got saved, things were flipped. The switch was flipped night and day, literally immediately. Some people say that comes with time, but honestly, I can tell you that I was wiser the moment I accepted Jesus as my Savior. So we can't be emotional about it. I mean, we can be in the beginning, don't get me wrong. But it doesn't mean we don't base our relationship with God like that. I don't have that same relationship with my wife. When we got married or when we were dating, I should say, I had those butterflies and I was excited and we spent all this time together and all those things that come with that, right? But now, she doesn't, she doesn't think I'm, uh, I love her any less just because I'm not the same way I was when I started dating her, right? Our, our relationship is based on that commitment. When we commit to the Lord, it's the same. Our relationship isn't based on how we feel. We know God saved us, and that's enough. Next, the third one is the thorny soil. 
It's basically a cluttered heart. One who hears the word but is unable to bear fruit due to the cares of this world. What are the cares of this world? Pastor Mike talked last week about worry and how much that can affect us and affect not only us internally, but how we then perceive the world itself, right? And with worry comes anxiety. A world that is not built on God is a world built on idols. And we as humans know the foundations of that world is not secure. We know that God, if God is our firm foundation, then everything else is like dust. It's hanging in midair, right? It's like a thought that has no foundation, right? It's claiming truth with no foundation to claim that truth on. It's like a, a Christian and an atheist debating, where our truth is based on God and the firm foundation that he has planted, and an atheist is, base, built, or is based on what they think it could be, right? So deceitfulness of riches. 1 Timothy 6, 9 says, but people who long to, be fa- or long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. It's not saying riches themselves are a bad thing. It's just saying that we can't be deceived that, that riches and money will cure everything in our lives. Our lives aren't based on that. We can't find security in something that's just paper. We need to find security in something that's eternal. The other thing, the cares of the world, is that it diverts our attention from God and tempts us into feeling self-sufficient. The pleasures of life, things of the, the flesh, cause our minds to divert from the things of the Spirit. If, so, if we sow to the flesh, we can't reap of the Spirit. We get caught up in the driving force of the age, and it chokes out our kingdom life. The world is built on lies, and there's constant worry within it and unrest. We need to find the peace that only God can give in him. The good soil, it's the receptive heart. The receptive heart is one who hears the word, understands it, and in turn bears much fruit. Notice the importance of understanding in relation to bearing fruit. The key to understanding is having a good and noble heart that is willing to listen and learn, and what king or what kind of fruit will one bear? There's different kinds of fruit in the Bible. The fruit of winning souls to Christ, the fruit of sharing material things, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of good works, the fruit of practical holiness. All of these things the Bible mentions, not just the fruits of the Spirit that everybody knows, but it goes beyond that. It's much more than that. Not all will bear the same amount of fruit. It's important to remember that God has given us each the ability to do something. Some people, it says, will bear a ton of fruit, a hundredfold. Others will bear 60, and others will still yet bear 30. So whatever our ability is, we need to exercise that accordingly. It's not about, it's not about how much you do, but what you do with what you're given. What does the sower expect from the seed that goes out? If Jesus is that sower, he knows that seed is good, what does he expect from the seed that he puts out in, into the ground? Probably expects growth, right? He expects not only growth, but fruit that come from that growth. Do you see yourself in some of these? Because I know I do. What kind of soil are you? Are you the, way, the wayside soil? With every, with every passing day, the hardening of your heart continues. The call of God becomes more faint. 
Do not be deceived. The enemy is out to get you. It's time to repent today. Today. Are you like the rocky soil? Maybe you responded to the gospel at one point, but you weren't grounded in faith. Your roots didn't go deep. And in turn, you fell to temptation and persecution because, excuse me, it's on your, or when temptation and persecution came your way, it's time to recommit. Are you like the thorny soil? Maybe you responded to the gospel at one time, but the cares of this world, the riches, and the pleasure, especially the pleasure of this world, has distracted you from him. It's time to refocus. Are you like the good soil? Maybe you are. If you've responded to the gospel and are bearing fruit, then you've come to understand the word. The word of God has been able to produce in his intended effect on you. When fruit grows, it creates more seed. So if a, if, a, if a plant grows and matures to the point it's bearing fruit, that fruit then gives off that seed to bear more, right? It's multiplication. That's the whole intent. That's what God's kingdom is. He chose us as his vessels to now expand his kingdom throughout the earth. What an honor we have. How many hardened hearts has Jesus won? All of them. Woo! I'm one of them, right? That's me. I was that guy. I was hardened. I was raised as a, in a pastor's home. I'm a pastor's kid. Um, don't judge me. Uh, but, I, <laughs> but I was a pastor's kid. I'm one of five. I have the, my oldest brother, who is the worship leader here, or one of them. And then I have a sister, and I have a middle brother, and then it's me, and then it's my, my, uh, my little brother. But everybody at that point had, um, they have their title, right? You get the firstborn, you get the first girl, you get the middle, who wants the attention, which is good. I have a middle son, I understand what that means, that's not a bad thing. And then you have the fourth one, who's just me, the neutral guy, not doing much, right? Kind of unseen, and then you have the baby, who's, of course, the little baby that everybody loves, so I was used to that. My heart, my heart as I grew, as, though, as much as I knew God, I didn't know God like I should know God. And in that, I was able to kind of grow up out of the limelight. I had things I wanted to share and things, of course, I wanted to do. But over the course of time, my heart became harder and harder towards, towards God as he called me to preach when I was just 10 years old. I ran from that stuff because I don't, want to, I don't like being the center of attention and I don't really care. If, if everybody's having a conversation in the room, I'm good to be in the background, right? I'm that guy, absolutely, and I'm totally okay with that. So when God called me to preach, I thought, no way, right? Uh, so I ran from it for about 20-some years now, um, or 20, uh, 20 years, 25 years or so. <laughs> and then he broke me one day, of course, when I actually came to know him on November 21st, 2008. But how many shallow hearts has he taken deeper? I know I'm one of them as well. We have to get deeper. We can't stay the same. Otherwise, just like he said, the enemy comes, temptation comes, persecution comes. All these things come at us, and we will fall immediately. A plant that has no roots is going to die real quick. It says the sun scorched that stuff, and they sent them out, right? Throw them right into the fire. Jesus says that, right? If the vine doesn't produce the fruit or the twigs don't produce the fruit, then they get torn off and thrown in the fire. How many, clust, or how many cluttered hearts has he put in order? That's me too. 
The only consistent thing in my life is my relationship with God. And I mean that. It's not a good thing necessarily, but in other aspects it is. I'm a person that is, not that I'm distracted, well, I guess I'm distracted pretty easily, but, but I'm a person that can't deal with clutter at all. It stresses me out. My house is that way too. If anything is cluttered in my house, we have to fix it immediately. That's just my personality. So I have to have a decluttered heart when I'm talking to the Lord so that we can hear that clear, concise, we can have that clear, concise relationship, right? So what's the primary call of the parable? The primary call of the parable is for us to be that good soil, make the ultimate plant, bear the most fruit, and that process of multiplication occurs. Jesus, uh, in the last, in John 12, 23, says, says this to bring it all together. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. We understand that seeds don't actually die, but the casing around them does, in a sense. It falls to the ground. The seed then bears up through the soil and is able to produce as it should. Soil needs fertilizer. Fertilizer has nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium in it, right? It allows it to grow to its fullest potential. And in the same way, we need God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to grow to our full potential, right? Seed that never, that's right, seed that never produces grain until it first falls into the ground and dies. Jesus here refers to himself as a grain or a kernel of wheat. If he did not die, he would abide alone. He would enjoy the glories of heaven by himself. There would be no saved sinners. There, was, there, there would be no saved sinners there to share in his glory. But if he died, he would provide a way of salvation by which many might be saved. It turns out that the seed of the sower, the seed is the sower sowing his life. So at the beginning, I said that Jesus is the sower in the parable, but that also represents us. Because as Jesus is the sower, he also becomes the seed in which we spread to the masses, right? And so it turns out that the seed the sower is sowing is himself, and that's what we should do too. We're already on to our action steps, if you can believe it or not. Action step one, do you know that God, do you know that you are a saved child of God? Yes? Good. If not, you need to come up, and it's time. Action step two, are you standing firmly on your belief of salvation in Christ alone? Awesome. Keep it up. Please be encouraged by that. I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for our time together, Jesus. There's nobody like you, God. Help us to remember that, God, that you're just as real to us today as you were thousands of years ago, thousands of year ago, years ago to the disciples and all of those people, God. Help us to remember, God, that we can take the seed that you've given us and carry it with us throughout the week. Lord, I pray that we would share it, that we wouldn't hold fast and hold it tight, God, because seed and tight soil can't grow. Father, I pray that we would share it among the masses and whoever is in our sphere of influence. Help us to grow and change and be made new, Jesus. 
I pray, God, that your hand would be upon us in each and every person here. I pray, God, that the Holy Spirit would dwell among the hearts of all of these people here, God, as they go out this week. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. Be with us, God, we pray. Your presence is like none, is like is unlike any other. We love you, Jesus. We give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the power and kingdom, and everything belongs to you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're getting baptized.